Glory to their labor, comrades, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of hospitals, memories, and grandfathers. My grandfather worked in... He has witnessed something horrible, was originally released November 16th of 2021, and is read to you tonight by Greg Bishop, with musical backing by The Dark Side of Music. The following tales belong to the United People's Institute of Science series, which will be unraveling on the podcast over the following weeks. Make sure to drop by later for the rest of the tales in this collection. New episodes come out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. With all that out of the way, pull up a chair and have a nice, pleasant chat with your grandfather. Vlad? He grips the handle of his bed, trying to get a better look at me. Is that you, Vlad? Yes, I say. Hanging from the side of his hospital bed is a bag of amber liquid. Next to it is a chair. I take a seat. Ah, so nice of you to come. Oh, so nice of you to come. His weak eyes wander around the room for a moment, but soon they close. The man in the other hospital bed groans something at me, but I pay him no mind. I am not here for him. How are you? How is your father? How is the family? The old man descends back into his bed, expecting a story. His eyes are closed, but he smiles wide. As old as the old man is, he still has most of his teeth. Everyone is well, Grandfather, I say. I've come here to talk to you about your work in... A long groan comes from the other hospital bed. The old man's eyes open. He searches my face for intention, but all he finds is memories of family. With a sigh, his cloudy eyes close again. They didn't always call it that, he says, his voice growing sentimental. Back when I worked there, it was called the United People's Institute of Science. Oh, what a time to be alive. Your grandmother and me, we had just gotten married. Your father was on the way. The days were so warm. I was a husband. I was young. I was... A security guard. For a second, it's as if he cannot hear me. His smile remains deep in happy memories. Yet soon enough, the pleasant thoughts are washed out. His mouth closes. Yes, he says. I was a security guard in the United People's Institute of Science. It was miserable work. Whatever the temperature was, when I left the house, it was always ten degrees colder by the time I got to work. That forest was freezing, and all they had for me in the guard booth was a single electric heater that barely worked. Your grandmother, looking out for my health, bought me one of those thermo cups from the black market to keep me warm. 
<laughs> she would always fill it up with boiling hot tea whenever I was leaving the house. If it wasn't for that woman, I would have frozen to death. Bless her. The Bolsheviks would always tout how much they cared about the common worker, but they never really gave a rat's ass about us. If the Soviet Union would have... Let us not talk politics, Grandfather. Tell me more about what it was like to be a security guard. Spent two hours of every morning making my way to work. The labs were cut off from any bus lines. No shuttles. Wouldn't even allow anyone to drive there with a car. <laughs> Raised a stink about me riding a bicycle to work, but I showed them. Hid it in the woods. No one ever found it. The work itself, though, it was a bore. Before the accident, every day was exactly the same as the other. Paperwork. A lot of paperwork and document checking. There were five forms of identifications to check, and I was given strict orders to shoot anyone who seemed suspicious. It was like they told the scientists that, too. Every time I was checking their documents, they wouldn't look away from my gun. There was only twenty or so of them. It's not like I would forget a face. My whole job was sitting in the cold and checking the identification of people who were terrified I would shoot them. Didn't make a single friend at work. Well, except for Vitek. Jaroslav Vitek, tell me more about him. I say. The man in the other bed calls to me again. He thinks I'm a doctor. He thinks I can help. Please, Grandfather, tell me more about Jaroslav Vitek. He was a transplant from Central Europe. Came in around 86, 87. Was the youngest of the team. Seemed like a real bright kid. Bright, but disorganized. End of the first month that he's there, he showed up in the morning all flustered. Overslept, apparently. Two minutes into the documents check, he realized he's missing half of his paperwork. I tell him I'd have to shoot him. <laughs> I left the kid off with a warning and think that's the end of it. During his lunch break, however, the boy walks into the freezing cold to my little cement booth and offered me his egg sandwich. I wasn't going to turn down free food. He did the same thing the next day. And the day after that, every lunch, he showed up at my door with a free sandwich. When your grandmother found out I was eating scraps, she wasn't excited. But a ruble saved is a ruble earned. What did you two discuss? I ask. Did Vitek ever speak of his work in the... The man in the other bed moans in pain once more. The hospital lights flicker. Those milky eyes stare at me once more. Vladimir? He asks. Yes, Grandfather? I reply. Why do you want to know about... Why did you want to know about that place? I am simply curious, Grandfather. 
I say. When I was young, I was always a curious child, was I not? His eyes search my face for malice, but all they could find are traces of his grandson. <laughs> you were always curious. Too curious, perhaps. The moans from across the room die down. Someone out in the hallway coughs. For a second, I fear that my visit will not bear any fruit. But eventually, the old man's eyes close once more. He was scared to talk about work. When he first started coming to my guard booth, we just talked about the weather. There isn't that many ways to complain about the cold, though. With Vitek too paranoid to discuss his research, we didn't do much talking. Most of the days, we'd just say something mean about the heater and then eat our sandwiches in peace. <laughs> After his sandwich, Vitek would draw. Had his little notebook with him where he would work on his art. Strange, circular people. Said if he could go back in time, he would rather be a cartoonist than a scientist. Vitek never spoke about his work? At first he didn't. Never even mentioned the Institute in the first year of his visits. But as the place started to fall apart, he... Well, he never said anything, but you could tell. You could tell from seeing any of the scientists' face that something was going wrong by then. Everyone was nervous. Even the bosses were nervous. Worked at the Institute for a good decade, and no deliveries were ever made. Around the middle of 89, though, I kept on getting messages from high command. Different signatures. Wildly different orders. One told me that there was an important package incoming to the Institute, and, and that no search should be performed. Another told me that if an unknown entity approached with a package, they were to be shot on sight. Every day, I came to my desk being covered in ten different conflicting orders. No package ever arrived, but I was terrified of the day one would. I didn't know what I would do. Did you ever discuss those contradicting directors with VTech? No. These orders came from stationery that was important enough to make me think twice about discussing it. Even if I wanted to talk about them, Vitek was far too paranoid. He would never talk about work. He never expressed any of his opinions on what was happening in the Institute? The old man thinks. Vitek never spoke about work directly, he says. But about a month before the accident, he started to ask all sorts of strange questions. What kind of questions? Philosophical questions. The man was out of sorts. Looked like he hadn't slept for weeks. Stopped eating too. He just come to my booth, gave me a sandwich, and drew in his little notebook. One day, as he was drawing, he just looked up and asked me whether there was such a thing as too much knowledge. What do you mean, Vitek? I asked. Have we gone too far as a species? Do we know too much? 
Are there pieces of scientific knowledge that are incomprehensible for the human brain? I tell him that he should know. He's the scientist. Guy doesn't laugh. Just sits there, thinking. Then he goes back to drawing. Did he ever say anything that would make you think he was connected to the accident? No, Vitek had nothing to do with that. Do you know where he was that night? Home, for all I know. The institute was almost empty that night. Where did Vitek stay? Had a room in the Helto Rusalka in the city. Most of the scientists did. Funny that. I was surrounded with men with university degrees, yet we all had to walk to work through the mud. All the same. All the same shit. You know, if it wasn't for your grandmother, I probably would have gone insane. I write down Hotel Rusalka in my notepad. This trip has been a complete waste of my time. I try to salvage something out of the old man. Grandfather, I say, can you tell me about the accident? I want to know more about how came to be. The dying man across the room thrashes in pain. His blanket slides down to the floor. The wails attract a nurse. I lean close to the old man. Please, Grandfather, tell me about the night of the accident. The nurse murmurs to the dying man as she picks up his blanket. Her gentle whispers calm the room. I keep my head low. A lot of directors came that day. He says, his breath the smell of medicine. A lot of orders about what to do if a truck shows up in the middle of the night. Most of them said to shoot the driver and alert high command. A couple said to wave the truck through. There was definitely more envelopes that day, but it wasn't too different from the past couple of months. Strange orders always came in, but no deliveries ever came through. Thought it would just be another night without a truck. There was no truck, I say, trying to hurry a story along. I can feel the nurse watching me. There was no truck. Just a man. Just a man with a glass jar trying to make his way past my booth. I yell at him to stop, but he didn't. Just kept on walking. I shout a bit more, even waved around my gun a bit, but he didn't listen. Just went straight into the institute. Saw one of the scientists open the jar for him, though. Figured he was expected. What happened next? Flash of light. Flash of light, and then I... I... I don't remember. Please, Grandfather, try to remember. Flash of light, and then they came out screaming. The scientists, their eyes, the world changed. Their eyes were glowing. The old man shakes beneath the weight of a horrible memory. His eyes spring open. There is the faintest of shimmers in them like a dying flame of a once mighty fire. I, I cannot describe the horrors I've seen. He groans. The faint light leaves his iris. He is once more just an old man in a hospital bed. He blinks. Who are you? Your grandson, 
Vlad, do you not remember me, grandfather? He searches my face, and he finds nothing. You're not Vlad. I stand up. The nurse says something to me, but it doesn't register. You're not my Vlad. You're not Vlad. The old man's screams follow me to the hallway, but no one calls security. I make my way back to the hotel and drink. In my drunken stupor, I shed away any amount of disappointment about the usefulness of the visit, any amount of guilt about torturing a frail man. I numb my being into complete apathy. Past the liquor-induced blurriness in my vision, I can read my single lead on the notepad. Hotel Rusalka. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L, Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Condor, Chicken Mixer, Daniel Wengel, and Mr. Creepypasta. If you'd like to join these fine people and support the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash Mike J. Langer. That's all for tonight, comrade. See you here next episode for another tale from the United People's Institute of Science. Glory to labor.